The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. But we, last week we got a chance to just get a brief introduction to these forces in the mind that take us away from mindfulness and meditation. It's feeling a little echoey, Maureen. Um, so, does it sound all right to those of you that you can hear? Okay, okay, good. So if it, if, if it ever fades, let me know. But um, there are these things that take us away from mindfulness and meditation um, that are actually normal parts of the human experience. So they're not personal failings. They're just things that tend to arise for most of us as we're doing this practice. And um, what we're trying to do in this series is to introduce them each, spend some time, uh, as we will this evening, I'll introduce one of them. We'll spend some time doing a guided meditation with it. Um, And then we'll have time to break into small groups and talk with each other about these practices. So um, last week, the five hindrances were introduced, um, which are actually seven items that are grouped in five groups. So the first one being sensual desire. That can take us away from practice. When we want something, uh, it can be very distracting, wanting something. Uh, aversion, when we don't want something, when we want to push it away. Uh, so the, those are the first two. And you can see that they're kind of opposites, wanting something, wanting something to go away or not wanting it. Then the third one is called sloth and torpor, kind of ancient-sounding words that refer to low-energy states where we're distracted from practice by just not having enough energy, feeling sluggish mind moves sluggishly the fourth is restlessness and worry so the opposite of that high energy states where there's too much energy buzzing around in the mind and the body and it's keeping us distracted and then the fifth one in the traditional sequence that these are taught is doubt so um, doubt can occur with any of the other hindrances and um Interestingly, we've decided to reverse the traditional order of teaching these, and tonight we're going to spend time with doubt. Part of the reason for that is that doubt can infect any of the others. It can come alongside them, and it is actually one of the most damaging to practice. Um, So we introduced last week a way to practice with these hindrances, which was... uh, kind of this little memory device of bella, ciao bella, the Italian word beautiful, but that's an acronym in our case for B stood for B, be with the hindrance, just allow it, be present with it. E was examine, take a look at what's actually going on, what you're experiencing, spend time with it, understanding it. The first L of bella was lesson, see what you can do to voluntarily lessen the impact of the hindrance. The second L stood for let go. There are practices that can help you let go of it. Now, letting go sounds easy, but it can be challenging, so we can spend time this evening with different methods for letting go of doubt. And then the A in Bella stood for appreciate. So when it's not here, definitely land on that, appreciate it, and allow yourself to feel it 
in a bodily and emotional and mental way because that actually encourages the continuance or the um, arising of positive states. Welcome. Please feel free to join our circle here. And, and if folks could make a little room to spread the circle. Um, we're we're kind of doing a, it in a little bit different style. So And don't worry, I'm, I'm not too horrible to sit next to. <laughs> so this, you know, this acronym of BELLA. Be, examine, lesson, let go, appreciate. Um, and then uh, we handed out a sheet last week that was part of the introduction. Uh, that is now posted online. So if you go on to Audio Dharma, you can he- if you missed last week, you can hear the entire session recorded. And you can also download and print out or just download and record on your computer the sheet that really covers all that we covered last week. Um, there were a couple exercises on that sheet to practice at home this week. Um, one was simply to notice what hindrances arise in your daily life and bring mindfulness to those. Um, and then noticing in what way those limit you and how did they diminish your ability to be mindful and wise. The second exercise was during the week, um, noticing what supported your ability to practice with the hindrances and what made it difficult to practice with the hindrances. So hope you had a chance to do those. If not, they're always available and it's kind of great to um, spend a little bit of time noticing those in your practice. Uh, So we'll start with a brief introduction tonight to the hindrance of doubt. So as I said, normally this is taught as the last hindrance and when you get the handout at the end of the evening you'll notice it's titled something like handout number six. (laughs) I left the number there so that at the end of this series you can come back around to it because it's useful to notice throughout as you're practicing when doubt arises in subtle ways and big ways and it's also useful to come back around to it and remind yourself about what that is. So um, by the way, any of the hindrances, sensual desire, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, doubt, any one of those can derail your practice, can take you off of the ability to be mindful and meditate. But doubt might be particularly toxic in a way or particularly harmful to your practice because it's the kind of thing that can lead you to doubt yourself, doubt the practice, not feel good about it, and ultimately leads into inaction or or giving up giving up on yourself, giving up on the practice. And obviously, that's one of the biggest things that's going to derail your practice is this giving up or, you know, feeling like you can't do it. So how do you recognize doubt when it arises? It could be present in the form of indecision, uh, kind of not being sure, like a lack of clarity about the instructions in the practice. It could be uncertainty, like not really sure, could be a lack of confidence in your ability to do it or in lack of confidence in the teacher, lack of confidence in the instruction. Um, It could lead you to not settle into practice. So this is where you can really see sometimes it's paired with restlessness. If you just can't uh, settle into sitting, like people have told me things like, oh, you know, 
I try, but, you know, there's no way that I can sit down every day and practice, or my life's too busy, or I try to sit down, but within a few minutes I'm aware of an email I need to send. That's restlessness. But it's also doubt. It's like, I don't, I don't this is less important. I got, I got to go do that. Doubt in the value of this. Um, it can be anything from a very simple thing, like a, a slight lack of clarity, a slight lack of settledness. Even as we meditate tonight, you may notice you know, a little um, tiny bit of concern, like, what is this doubt thing? I'm not sure I really know what that is, or I'm not sure I, I really ever experienced that. All the way to something that's really a deep inner conflict, where you, you either feel a deep fear or you just feel divided from the practice or yourself. Like, deeply, I just, I just don't think I've got what it takes for this. Um, it can uh, be, I, I've been thinking, comparing mind. You know, when you compare yourself to another person, you go, oh, obviously their practice is really fantastic. <clears throat> They're sitting so still. Still, they have so much insight. Their practice is great. Mine's not so great. Even that can be a kind of doubt, right? Um, What happens is that this hindrance of doubt keeps the mind stirred up in these ways. Of thinking, doubting thoughts, of feeling inadequate, and it robs the mind, robs the practice of energy. So, um, there is a difference, by the way, between the kind of doubt that's a hindrance, that we're really studying here, and the kind of useful questioning kind of doubt or skepticism. or And the difference you can discern in yourself is the hindrance of doubt is going to lead to inaction, really low energy, giving up, not persisting. The questioning kind of doubt is going to lead to action. It's going to lead to the desire to really know, what is this? Um, So this impulse to understand is actually very useful and you're encouraged to have that uh, impulse to understand, to question the teachings, the teacher, um, things about yourself, the practices. That questioning is quite useful in practice. It helps you investigate more deeply. It helps you loosen any preconceptions you might have about things, how things work. So you'll notice that one leads to action and the hindrance of doubt leads to inaction, giving up. So that's one way to really distinguish between the two. Um, The thinking that comes up with doubt can be really persuasive. I mean, you can think, oh, that's reasonable. Like, yeah, you know, I don't agree with that that practice. I I don't see it. I think it's... um, it doesn't work, or it can be, you can convince yourself. Um, like, oh, you know, I've never really been good at concentrating. I, I actually started, my pre-practice was like this. I thought, I tried TM when I was in my 20s. That just gave me a headache. There's, you know, I can't, I can't meditate. I thought, I can't meditate until I was in my 40s, and somebody gave me an opportunity to do guided meditation. I was like, well, wait a minute, that, that kind of worked a little bit. 
But for a long time, I was very persuaded. I was very convincing to myself. Gave me a headache. I can't meditate. Forget that. Um, it can, the, our thinking can kind of mask doubt because we get so involved in the thinking. It definitely uh, can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you have doubt. You're like, hmm, I, I don't think this practice is really working for me or I, I don't think I'm really good at this. And then you don't practice as much or the practice doesn't feel very good to you and so you do maybe less of it or it doesn't feel, you're, you're like, man, that was a really bad sitting, which leads to more doubt, which leads to less practice. And the less practice you do, the harder it is to actually see how this works or what might be good fruits of this. So it can turn into this vicious cycle. So persistence is a really important factor in practice instead of succumbing to doubt. Um, Doubting yourself might be the most dangerous doubt of all. Because if you give up on yourself, if you, you know, have a lack of a belief in your worthiness to do this, remember the Buddha said there is no one more worth loving than yourself. I'm paraphrasing here. But, you know, your worth is not in question. But if you doubt your worthiness, if you feel that you're unable, of course, that's going to stop your practice um, There may be specific fears or doubts that come up about the practice like, well, if I, you know, it it can happen before the fact or it can happen after you notice some changes. So people can think things like, boy, I don't know, you know, this, this is changing what I want to do with my time. Suddenly I'm not interested in going to parties. Is this going to ruin my social life? Or wow, this is really changing me and my partner or my friends really aren't, aren't on board with this at all. In fact, some of them may be, my family was like, is that a cult? Are you, you know, they were really concerned about whether I was, you know, being swept into something. And so, you know, the idea of being cut off from friends, families, partners, that's a kind of doubt that can come up like, wow, is this going to ruin my life? What if this makes me want to give up my ambition or my wealth or you know people develop concerns like that and those doubts obviously um, can can stop that doubt in yourself that doubt in what's happening can really stop your practice Um, sometimes people think the practice appears too difficult you know you're sitting there you're you're sitting once again with pain or once again, you're falling asleep and you're like, man, you know, for the 20th time in a row, this really hurts. I, I, maybe this is too hard for me. Maybe I'm going to hurt my body. I used to worry about that a lot. Am I going to, is falling, is your foot falling asleep really going to damage your nerves in some way over time? Like, is this really, you know, is this pain actually going to hurt my back permanently? You know, uh, or is this sleepiness like, Obviously, there is real sleepiness that, you know, you're not getting enough sleep and you need to get a good night's rest. We're, in this culture, we're chronically sleep-deprived. But there's also the sleepiness that comes that's like, eh, can't quite stay with it. Well, maybe I'll just go take a nap instead. 
So obviously that will derail your practice. Um, The idea that it's just not you, you just can't do it. Sometimes people build up this picture of some goal that's, oh, you know, the end of this total freedom, total liberation looks like Mount Everest as viewed from sea level. It's like, I'm just never going to get there. I have sat here and heard many a a yogi tell me, oh, you know, freedom isn't, or total liberation is just not going to be possible for me, but I do this because, you know, other reasons. But, you know, that is, people do not climb Mount Everest by looking at the peak and willing themselves up there. They do it one step at a time. And that's the way we do everything in this practice and everything in this life, actually, It's done one moment at a time. And you don't have to be responsible for where that is headed. You don't have to hang that in front of your mind and go, oh man, I'm never going to make it all the way to liberation. And I love what Gil Fronstahl says about this. He says, okay, um, so you do the practice and um, maybe you think you're not going to end up in liberation but you will lead a better life and you'll feel happier. And sure enough, every day, every minute, every year I've spent at practice, it's turned out to be right. I am happier. I am feeling more peaceful. I am feeling more free by degrees. Now that doesn't mean it hasn't been hard at times. That doesn't mean, you know, you you can listen to Dharma talks of the really stellar teachers on this scene. You know, Joseph Goldstein sitting there and talking about a retreat where the whole thing was agony the whole time through. And he's made it to a place which is really, appears extremely equanimous and wise. And, you know, Gil, Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, all these teachers whose Dharma talks you can download off of Dharma Seed will report retreats and years periods of time where it was really tough but yet they persisted through it and they've seen the fruits of it so this doubting the self can be the most dangerous thing of all so how do you practice when doubt is present what are you going to do with this um first of all it's to to recognize it and by the way with any of these hindrances Allow yourself to hang out with your practice for a while. Don't expect, like it's easy to think, oh, you know, somehow I've got to bang, bang, bang. I know what doubt is. I know what aversion is. I know what sloth is. It took me a long time before I ever experienced sloth and torpor or doubt. I I had no clue. So I had to just be with my practice, just keep meditating, keep being mindful. So allow yourself time. And over time, then kind of learn to recognize. Um, So learn to recognize indecisiveness, hesitation, self-judgment, unsettledness, a questioning that's dragging your energy down or leading to inaction like, eh, I'm just going to skip sitting today. This is too much of a struggle. So just over time, allow yourself to notice those on everything from the mildest level, like, wow, I just can't, I just can't stay with the breath. Um, so I, maybe I can't do this. To the profound level of like a deep inner struggle. Over time, it will reveal itself to you. 
Um, and one of the most powerful ways to work with it is simply noting doubt. So somehow hearing these Dharma talks over the years, I just filed away that there was this thing called doubt. I didn't experience it for the longest time. I mean, I was like totally, whatever happened, I didn't, or at least let's say I didn't know I experienced it for the longest time. You know, I had plenty of feelings of inadequacy about myself and my practice or, you know, could I really understand this teaching? Could I really make it happen? In fact, the breath, I was like, you know, I think these these teachers that talk about noticing each breath and the difference from each breath, they're like genetic freaks, kind of like Olympic athletes. They're the Olympic athletes of breathing. And they can notice that. But me, I don't even, what are they talking about? notice that one breath being different from the other they all feel the same to me you know so but I had filed away in the back filing cabinet that there was this thing called doubt and then the first time it I actually was able to be aware of it I just said to myself doubt that was so helpful because in some cases that just lifted it off I thought okay doubt. This is nothing to freak out about. I don't need to get up and run out of IMC and declare that I'm finished with practice. It's just doubt. So naming it, when you finally recognize it, just naming it. Um, I even sort of put my hands on the floor when I was sitting and noticed I'm like, this is just doubt. I can ground myself. I can be with this. Um, Another way to practice with doubt when you finally recognize that doubt is present. Doubt in yourself, doubt in the teacher, doubt in the teachings, doubt in the practices, doubt in the instructions. When you recognize it's present, um, you can study it, learn about it, reflect on it. You can ask the Dharma teacher or another Dharma teacher, a Dharma teacher you trust really well, Talk to them about it. You know, arrange for a practice discussion and have a conversation about the specific doubt that you're experiencing. Or one of your Dharma friends, one of your one of the folks here. This evening you may hear something that's like, oh, wow, okay, this other person said this. That's been my experience too. Or you'll file it away and someday in the future it'll be there for you. So conversations really help us grapple with or deal with doubt, practice with doubt. Um, Taking, like I suggested before, taking your time to arrive at understanding of this. Don't rush at it. Don't worry if you're like, what's this doubt stuff she's talking about? I don't get it. Um, When you do recognize that doubt is present, um, it can come in the form of hesitancy to commit to practice. Like some days I'm on, some days I'm off. I don't know, this mindfulness thing? Yeah, no. Um, One method is discipline or resolve. So you can decide, I don't care what happens, every day I'm going to sit for a half hour. No matter what. I can sit there and feel like jumping out of my skin, like i got to get up and suddenly clean the refrigerator that I haven't cleaned for a year, or I've got to write that email, or I'm going to get fired if I don't take care of that now, or... I'm, I'm feeling so, so sluggish right now, or I'm worrying and my mind is just spinning and spinning, or I really, really, really want to get up and have uh, a cookie, 
or <laughs> I really wish this pain or this difficulty would stop. Any of that can be going on and you can say to yourself, I promised myself I am going to stay here for this entire half hour, this entire 10 minutes, this entire 45 minutes. I don't care what length of time it is, but I am staying here until that clock turns over and I'm just going to notice anything I can about it. Um, so that's the kind of resolve we're talking about. It's just like you're making a promise to yourself. Your promise is, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this every day and I'm going to do it with some regularity and I'm just going to, you know, anything could be happening inside me and I'm just going to be there for it. I'm going to notice whatever I can about it. Maybe some days it'll be more, maybe some days it'll be less and that's resolve. That's discipline. On the other hand, sometimes if doubt is major or persistent, it requires us to do some excavation work, to, to really understand the underlying causes of it. So, uh, for example, there might be deeply held beliefs. I already mentioned some of them, like the deeply held belief, I can't meditate. I can't concentrate. I've just never been able to do that. You could say to yourself, I've always been, you know, really active and this idea of sitting still is just not me. Or, you know, you, you hear it all the time, this kind of deeply held belief people have. If we're talking about another of the hindrances like aversion, they could just go, well, I've always been kind of an easily irritated person or, you know, I just, that's just me. That's just me. People, we identify with it. I've heard people say, oh, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just a restless type. I've got to get a lot of stuff done. I'm just, that's who, that's who I am. So um, this I, kind of idea of a deeply held belief about yourself could be a doubting thought about yourself or it could be a doubting thought about a teacher. By the way, there is nothing wrong with questioning or doubting that a particular teacher is useful for you. I think probably everybody I know who's practicing has had teachers that they, what the teacher says makes sense to them, they connect with it, it works, and then other teachers it's like, whoa, I just, you know, the words washed over me and nothing happened. So it's okay to spend time exploring and investigating whose teachings, whose method of delivering teachings works for you. Nothing wrong with that. But if you have deeply held beliefs about all teachers, then you might start looking at the beliefs or deeply held beliefs about all the teachings. Like, I don't know, these, you know, this arcane language, you know, of these teachings, what does this mean? I don't think this means anything to me. I'm a contemporary kind of person. Whatever the doubt is, looking at those beliefs. Some of the beliefs people have sometimes are, it's too selfish. I've heard people say, it's too selfish to sit every day and just focus on my own thoughts and feelings and mind. I like, I've got a family. I don't, I don't want to be selfish like this. Or um, it's navel-gazing. It's self-indulgent. You know, I'm not going to do that. Or uh, the belief, um, mm, I don't know, <laughs> maybe there's something else I should take up instead. Like yo yoga really works for me. Maybe I should be spending this time on yoga or maybe I should be going for a run. I'm not, you know, fit enough or, 
all kinds of beliefs from the deep to the, you know, really just light beliefs. You can look at those. Um, we have to attend to unresolved feelings. So if, when you doubt yourself, there may be some things you're holding against yourself. You know, things that you see as your weaknesses or um, capacities that you wish you had that you don't think you have. Um, so looking at the feelings underneath that, where did that anger at yourself or mistrust of yourself or self-judgment or fear, where did fear come from? The fear, I won't be able to do this. Where, does this, where do those things come from? So sometimes it's worth hanging out with looking at what's underneath the doubt. Um, and we can challenge ingrained ideas about ourselves, ingrained ideas about the teachings we're hearing, or ingrained ideas about change. Like, I don't think I want to rock the boat. I don't think change is such a good thing here. I, my life is uh, going along okay. I don't want to suddenly have a bumpy marriage or, uh, you know, bumpy relationships with my friends. Or So being, you know, we might challenge ourselves. We might look at those fears, those concerns. So this is a lot about, you know, what can happen with doubt. One way to counter that lack of confidence in your ability to do this is to notice any little part of it that you're good at. So I said a few minutes ago that for me the breath was like, ah, that's for the Olympic meditation athletes, I can't do this breathing. When I was first in practice, I gave that up for a while. Because what I noticed I could do is I could meditate on sound. Sound was incredibly compelling to me. I could keep renewing my attention to ambient sound or silence around me. And that was great. And then I noticed I could stay with sensation in the body. I could explore each part of my body and what the sensations were and renew my attention to that over and over again. And after a few years of doing that, suddenly the breath became like, oh, okay, now I get it, now I can do it. So if you notice anything that you're capable of, if you're capable of just paying attention to one breath, that's fine, just pay attention to one breath over and over again anytime you can do it, anytime you can stay with it. So that... Uh, giving yourself credit for what is working is so helpful. Um, feeling good about the smallest increments in your practice. Like, okay, I was able to stay with the beginning of the breath, the middle of the breath, the end of the breath. Good. Oh, I got distracted a few minutes. Okay, here's another breath. Wow, I'm with it. Or here's thought. Okay, I'm seeing the thought. Huh, the thought's unfolding right now. Or here's the sensation in the body. Wow, I'm hanging with it. I'm not going, ah, get away, knee pain. I'm going, okay, this is kind of like a twinging. It's not pleasant, but it's, I'm here with it. Or a, an emotion or a feeling. Wow, this is so unpleasant. But look, I can sort of hang in here with the fact that it's, so unpleasant. I'm doing okay. Give myself credit for that. And I love this last one. Spend less time thinking about yourself. 
to gain confidence in your ability to practice. Now, if, you know, a lot of us have obsessive thought patterns about ourselves. We're constantly picking, we're constantly doing the self-improvement project, like, yeah, you know, mm, shouldn't have said that that way. Mm, This sitting could have been better. Wow, um, I could be more mindful all day long. You know, we're constantly... So if you drop that and change the channel, like, oh, thinking about the self again, change the channel, it can be remarkably helpful to drop the self-preoccupation. That can support your practice amazingly well. And then finally, um, inspiration. So something inspired you to come here this evening. Something inspired you to start a meditation practice. It might have been, in my case, it was some people, some colleagues I had that seemed just something extra about them, something super compassionate, something kind. Keeping them kind of in my mind like, okay, they, they did this and look at you know, what wonderful people they've become. Or these teachers hearing these stories a lot, you know, spending a year really having a hard time. But they did it, so that's pretty inspiring. Or a teaching that's inspiring to you. Or a practice that's inspiring to you. That can be very helpful. Any kind of experience you've had. If you've had a moment where it was easier or a moment when you felt some compassion just sprang up or some feeling of calm. Wow, I feel calm. That's, those moments of inspiration can help you hang in there with this. So, I hope that was helpful. Um, the handout that will be available at the end of the evening has all of those concepts. So you can read it over again, wait until doubt crops up and work with it. So um, let's maybe spend some time with any questions or comments you might have. Having heard all of that, ah, sorry. First, let's do a guided meditation. You need time to be with this. So finding a comfortable um, but alert meditation posture. First, allowing yourself to notice how you are. You just heard quite a bit of information. You've just been perhaps through a long day of work or activity or whatever you've been with today. Allow yourself to take note of that. And gradually allowing yourself to notice how your body is. Allowing yourself to relax or soften any areas of tension that you find. Taking in your environment. the sounds outside and inside.
and gradually turning your attention to whatever meditation object you commonly like to work with. It could be the breath. It could be simply the flow of experience as it arises. Whatever you typically practice with, give yourself the next five minutes to really settle in to that practice, renewing your attention to it moment by moment being kind to yourself. If you notice you get distracted, just coming back and starting over again. any hindrances arise, just allowing yourself to notice it and returning your attention to whatever is next. allowing yourself to notice um, as I say these questions letting any simple or easy memory bubble up of whether 
either this evening or any other time you've ever noticed moments of feeling uncertain about your practice. Not having to think about it, just letting it bubble up naturally if there have been. And if there haven't, not to worry about it. Do you ever have a hard time deciding when to sit or where to sit or what practice to engage in during your meditation? Can you bring to mind a brief moment of doubting the value of this practice, this mindfulness practice? And if any simple memory came up of a moment of uncertainty in practice or a hard time deciding when to sit or what practice to do or a brief moment of doubting the value of the practice, recognizing the similarity to a pool of muddy water. It's unclear, it's heavy, it's thick hard to see and allowing yourself simply to be with this the first be of Bella so being present with recognizing acknowledging the presence of any form of doubt in the practice or in yourself that has come up in your experience and take your time with it. And in this case, we're being with the doubt rather than being in the doubt. So you're not feeding it any additional thinking. You're just being with the fact that it's present or it's been present or you're remembering a time And once you have had a chance to practice the bee, the being with it of Bella, then allowing yourself to examine it. Um, So perhaps 
noticing that whatever doubt that was leads to a feeling of inaction or a feeling of giving up. as opposed to the questioning kind of experience which led to the desire to understand, recognizing when it's uh, dragging you down. And noticing any physical sensations that accompany that could be physical tension, pressure, contraction, that accompanies the doubting thoughts that came up. Giving yourself a chance to observe those thoughts and notice what are they about? What do you tend to doubt? Do you doubt the practice? the teachings, the teacher, or perhaps yourself and your capacity to do the practice? What are those thoughts about? Now that leads to the L in Bella, the first L, lesson. So the minute you know that a doubt is present, you're actually experiencing a moment of clarity. And you can relax into that moment of clarity. Ah, that's an example of doubt. If you were able to notice tension or pressure or any kind of sensation in the body that was associated with that doubt, you can bring mindfulness to those sensations, perhaps even bring some relaxation to that stress or tension, or just soften around it a little bit. you can lessen doubt by creating some space around it. Maybe you're seeing the doubt from the other end of the social hall. Maybe you just allow some space around that doubt instead of being right on top of it and knotted around it. And one way to lessen the doubt is that each time 
a moment of uncertainty, hesitation, indecisiveness, self-criticism, criticism of anything about this or doubt about this, just using the mental noting doubt to name it. That alone can lessen it a little bit. Keeping in mind that you're doing this practice one step at a time. You're only responsible for one moment at a time. That can lessen certain forms of doubt. The second L of Bella is let it go, let go. So you can let go by simply sitting here and reflecting, studying, learning about doubt. You can examine and address areas when you feel conflicted about your practice. You can let go by deepening your confidence in yourself, in the teacher, in the teachings, in the practice. By reconnecting with something about the practice that inspires you or some little thing that goes well or has gone right. Feel happy about what you can do What are the primary ways that you feel confident in your meditation practice? Can be very small or many instances. It doesn't matter. And as you alight on that method of letting go by noticing something that has gone well or is going well, appreciate the absence of doubt in that moment. Just appreciating what's going well can help encourage you, blow away the clouds of doubt, and transform your efforts with these hindrances these natural and not personal but normal parts of human experience that are just there to be recognized and understood.
So we have a little time now for questions and comments. And because we're being recorded and, you know, it's kind of useful to have these recordings for people who aren't here or any night that you're not able to be here, um, please speak into the mic when it's your turn and you hold it kind of close to your lips and, and point it straight out like that to get the best result. So it is on. <laughs> you're probably getting double, you know, stereo here. But, um, you know, what, what questions might you have about this or what comments might you have so far about doubt or about any experiences you've had before this evening about doubt? Um, I'm not sure if it goes just to doubt, but I don't quite understand how, uh, let's say you're meditating and, and um, you're you're trying to examine um, one of these hindrances, um, whatever it may be. How do you, if you're trying to find out the cause of it, let's say, uh, how do you do that? without engaging in all this kind of commentary within yourself um, it, it, as opposed to trying to stay mindful of, you know, in the moment. Um, the two seem kind of contradictory to me, and I don't get how to balance that. Right, so that's a really good question. And the first thing I'd say with examine is to hold it kind of gently or lightly, like... Let me just be curious about what's here. You know, first of all, how is my body right now? Am I tight or tense or leaning forward or is my forehead all scrunched up with thinking? So you can, I think the body is a great place to start because it doesn't necessarily add to all of the thinking. And then there's an art that takes time, really takes time to master, and that's noticing the process of thoughts more than fueling the content of them. So like, oh, right now it seems I'm thinking about, I'm I'm having some self-judgments. Not, oh, I suck at this practice, this is terrible, I'm never going to be good. Instead of that, just going, huh, these are words that are appearing in my head that seem to reflect self-judgment. So it's that kind of curiosity, just noticing what's there. The examination can just be like, oh, okay, how does sensual desire feel in the body? How do I know I'm experiencing sensual desire? Well, my taste buds are kind of yearning for chocolate. I'm tasting it. My imagination is starting to go, yeah, stop by the grocery store on the way home. Oh, that thought is a thought of sensual desire. So that kind of process. So being, you know, just letting yourself notice what's there. Okay, but once you, let's say you, you, I don't know, I feel like I can can kind of do that to some degree, but if I want to get deeper, you know, um, to analyze the cause of that particular uh, hindrance in myself, um, it seems I can't do that without kind of engaging in this commentary and, and 
uh, <laughs> so searching for the cause kind of takes me away from uh, being mindful about That's it. That's right. So um, two different possible processes. One is just stay with the mindfulness. Don't try to dig, actually. Just be with what's here in the moment. And the way wisdom works is you, you're with it, you're with it, you're with it. And this could be in one sitting or it could be over a period of days, months, weeks, years. And suddenly, bam, in your, into your consciousness will come, oh my gosh, all this time I've been holding it against myself that I didn't concentrate well as a kid. So it, you, it'll surface on its own. That's one way to go about this. Now there's a different process called reflection. And that's where you, maybe you don't do it here on the cushion. Maybe you do your meditation, you're mindful right here, right now of this, you know, allowing the curiosity to bubble up with whatever is being examined. And maybe you, you notice something you're curious about, like why do I have, the, what, what views are underneath this? And you make a little appointment with yourself. You know what, this week I'm going to kind of spend some time reflecting on that. What views might be under my doubting the teachings? And then you let yourself over, sometimes it's good to do it right after meditation session. You do the meditation, and then into the last minute of it, you drop, okay, what might be underneath this thing I noticed? And then you don't think about it like, think, you just see what pops up in that moment. Or you make an appointment to, you know, journal about it later in the week if you really want to do that. But you can trust that just staying mindful in the moment, session after session, eventually awareness, it's going to surface. And it'll sometimes it's like, whoa, wow. It's kind of very pleasant when that happens, to realize something. But it's different than having to, you know. You're welcome. What I experience when my mind starts spinning, I go, when I become aware of that, so, oh, it's busy. I, I'm still practicing on that to immediately, as soon as I become aware of that, go back to my breath. So, oh, man, all these the whole chatter that goes on. When I become aware, oh, there's the breath, there's the breath, there's the breath. You know, it, so that is an ongoing practice. That sounds lovely. And, you know, have, has that helped you with that spinning, to just return to the yeah, breath? Yeah, yeah, the spinning stops because the mind can focus on, my mind can focus only on one. It is either spinning or on my breath. Great, yeah. great. So all you had to do was notice it was spinning. Yeah. Then you return to the breath. Yeah. Great, great. Yeah. That, you know, that sometimes that moment of being with the hindrance is like, I was just with it. Other times we are with it for a longer period of time, but you discovered it was enough to go, whoa, mind is spinning. Great. Thank you for that. So I was here last week, and um, in 
being introduced sort of for the first time for me last week, the hindrances, I thought about doubt, and I was like, I don't really, I'm not sure I do that. I, I, I don't know. I Like, I could really identify with desire and with aversion, with restlessness and with sloth and torpor, but I was like, not doubt. <laughs> and then tonight is really uncomfortable because <laughs> I'm seeing how prevalent doubt is, and especially for me, self-doubt. And um, it's kind of painful. And I also feel the ways that doubt, um, well, I'll just stick with tonight, that I, I felt the way that in my meditation that doubt is so aversive that it then triggers, most typically for me, I think, restlessness, anxiety, and planning. It's like if I'm, I doubt myself, and then I think, well, I've I got to stay in control. And so then I get into the restlessness. And then tonight I actually noticed as well the torpor coming in, too, in response to doubt, because it was sort of like a depressive, kind of like, oh, I just want to go to sleep. Yeah, beautiful sequence of noticing, because you, you not only notice that there can be more than one hindrance present, and they can lead into each other, you, you know, there can either be like a multiple hindrance attack, like, oh my gosh, I'm being assailed from all sides, or when we get into high, you know, like, uh, okay, I, I doubt myself, oh my gosh, I've got to fix this, I've got to do stuff, restlessness comes up, and then we wear ourselves out, and then sloth and torpor, mm-hmm. like, man, all of a sudden I, I don't want to move, I want to go to bed right now, <laughs> go to mm-hmm. sleep. So, um, hang with it and uh, just enjoy that you, wow, doubt opened up, you saw it, and this can happen years and years into practice. I was noticing as I was studying this again and preparing for this, I was like, oh my gosh, here are some layers of doubt that I wasn't looking at before Mm. that are there. So it's like the onion, you know, you keep peeling the layers and you're like, oh man, there's another layer. And it sounds ironic, but enjoy the discovery. (laughs) That's the appreciate part. I saw it. Yay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Thank you. So I want to give you all a chance to uh, get into small groups and talk about this with each other. So um, if you could find two other people um, and just uh, sit, find a place to sit together. We're going to be in little groups of three. I think that works out in terms of numbers. Three, six. Right. We might have one group of two. <laughs> So one group of two and the rest groups of three. Anybody that you want to sit with, um, please go sit with a couple other people. And I will give you the questions that we're going to explore and the method we're going to use after you find your other people. So find them first. Ah. Okay, um, so is there a group uh, that's willing to be a group of two? Could somebody join this gentleman? Well, okay, I'm just, uh, the only thing I'm thinking is I want you to have enough time and uh, you're going to have more time if there are two groups of two. Would you guys mind splitting into two groups of two? Thanks. 
Okay. So you can introduce yourselves with your first name and then come back. So the particular practice we're going to do is a very specific practice. Um, each person is going to have three minutes to hold forth on the question. That means you're going to talk, you're going to do a monologue for three minutes. The other people are only going to listen. So your job, if you're a lit listener, is to witness the person who's speaking, not to interrupt, not to give advice, not to comment, just stay in the listening and let the person have their full three minutes. I'm going to ring the bell every three minutes so you will know when it's time to switch to the next person. The next person gets a chance to speak for three minutes. Now, as you're speaking about this, you're not necessarily just trying to tell the other person what you already know about yourself. Allow yourself the space to see if, if something new comes up, you know, if there's more there. So um, with that... The first question you can explore, and maybe pick the person wearing the lightest color shirt to start with, if that works. Um, and then the first question you're going to do is, and, and just go clockwise from there, the first question is, how can you distinguish between a helpful, skillful doubt, that questioning I talked about, and a doubt that's a hindrance? So please start. Okay, now we're going to uh, pause for one minute of just silent reflection. So allowing yourself to settle and just give yourself a minute and I'll ring the bell at the end of the minute. So our next question, we're going to do in two-minute rounds. So each person will speak for a full two minutes and others will witness. The question is... Do you tend to have more doubt regarding the teachings, teachers, or doubt about your capability? And whichever one it is, uh, or whichever ones it is, what beliefs might underlie it? So please start. So coming back to our big circle, if you would. So um, if you, hopefully you had a chance to explore it a little bit or to hear others explore it. So if you don't personally, if you have not had experiences of doubt, don't worry about it at all. Just file this away for later. If you heard something from other people that you found helpful, file that away from later, for later. And if you kind of got in touch with your doubt, um, perhaps give yourself a little uh, encouragement that just the very noticing of it, the mindful noticing of it, is the beginning of the process where you, whereby you let go of that doubt and return to your practice. So let's just take the last five minutes or so and just allow ourselves some brief meditation just to let the words settle. 
if your mind is very active, it's all right to allow yourself to reflect on what it was like to listen to others and discuss this topic or any barriers or challenges you noticed. Or if your mind feels like settling down, allow it simply to settle into your meditation. Appreciating any good qualities you're noticing in yourself or your meditation. And perhaps in this last minute of meditation, allowing yourself to feel some appreciation for coming here this evening, for being able to look at your practice and learn something perhaps new about yourself, for supporting the other people in the room and in your life by 
engaging in this practice. And for your patience and persistence in whatever measure those showed up, appreciating any moments of mindfulness, any moments of understanding. May this practice benefit you and the others in your life and ripple out to benefit all living beings everywhere. May all beings be at peace. May all beings be happy. Thank you for sharing the evening. Um, Please uh, feel free to come up and get one of the handouts or pass them around. Maybe that's easier. And if you have any other questions or comments you wanted to make, um, I'll be here for a little while.